I'm here today with His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Schneider. He's the Auxiliary Bishop in Astana, Kazakhstan, and he has a new book, which is Excellent, The Catholic Mass. I highly encourage you reading it. Uh, we spoke before about his previous book, which was Christus Vincit, which is also excellent, a book that actually brought me to tears in its beauty and its devotion uh, with his story. So today we're going to talk about the centrality of God in the Mass as opposed to a man-centered liturgy. Your Excellency, thank you for being with us today. Yes. Uh, we usually start out with the uh, Our Father in Latin. Would you lead us in the Our Father? Yes. <clears throat> In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster, quies in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Your Excellency. One topic that I want to begin with right off the bat is the Mass as sacrifice. It's my observation and others, and you make the same, that since the 1960s, it's the idea of community, meal, the gathering, and even reception of the Holy Communion, which is good. But, you know, some people think that receiving communion is more important or is of the essence of the Mass rather than being present for the sacrifice of Christ. Can you Talk to people maybe about the relationship, uh, the centrality of the sacrifice, but also the priority of the sacrifice over the communion. Yes, uh, we have to start always uh, of, um, to understand what is really the Holy Mass. So the essence of, of a thing, of a reality, and the essence, really, the core, of what is the Holy Mass is the sacrifice of the cross. This is really substantial, the same sacrifice, uh, only in a sacramental way. And so we have to understand this, and this teaching gave us the Lord himself and the apostles, and was in a very solemn and clear manner um, clarified in dogmatic final definitive expressions by the Council of Trent and the constant magisterium of the Church. So, the Holy Mass is substantial, essentially, the sacrifice of Christ. And uh, because uh, Christ, our Lord, saved, redeemed uh, humanity, not with a meal or with a gathering, not with the teaching, uh, but with his real sacrifice on the cross. For this aim he came, to give uh, his life, his blood for us. As the Holy Scripture said, and the Lord himself, so much God loved this world that he gave his own son as a sacrifice for us. And so we have to stress this. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the essence of the history of salvation. And this uh, shows because the sacrifice of the Lord reveals the central truth and that God is love. As St. John says, God is love. And why? Because he is love. He gave his son for us. And not only he gave his son, he gave his son to be crucified, to be humiliated, as St. Paul says. He became man and took the form of a slave and was obedient until the death and the death of the cross. This means the sacrifice of the cross. 
and therefore he redeemed us. And to stress this, it shows also the primacy of God itself, the sacrifice of Christ. It is a divine human act because Christ, our Lord, dying on the cross, uh, was even in his death and his sacrifice. He remained a divine person. He was not a human person. No. Uh, the church defined the truth in the, in the Council of Chalcedon, Chalcedonian Council, that Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, had only one person. This was the second divine person. And therefore, all the acts which he did in his true and full human nature were uh, imputed or ascribed to the divine person. And therefore, uh, all the acts of Christ, and especially the central act of his life, act, personal, uh, conscious, was the sacrifice of the cross. And this act had therefore an infinite dimension and value and uh, duration because it was ascribed to the second divine person. Even though, uh, as the Council of uh, Chalcedon says, all the acts of Jesus Christ uh, the, the two uh, natures, divine and human, were always acted in such a way that they were not mixed up, that they were not changed, every, uh, each remained, and they were never divided mm -hmm. and never separated. Always, always together. This is the mystery of the, the, the theology says the hypostatical union and we have to look at this sacrifice of the cross in the hypostatic union to value to, to see the infinite value it was a divine act and all the temptations uh, the attempts of human being since Adam and all the heretics it was always the the devil uh, uh, attempts us, uh, the temptation, to, to diminish the divine influence, uh, to put yourself, the human aspect, more important. And therefore, since especially Martin Luther and the so-called Protestant Reformation, they exactly made the first attack on the Holy Mass and on the meaning of the sacrificial character of the Holy Eucharist and the Mass and transforming this in an anthropocentric meeting. So it is a gathering, a meeting. It is a meal and therefore uh, um, making void empty of the true reality of the divine human act of sacrifice of our redemption. And therefore, it is so important, again, to stress this, because since uh, the Council, uh, since 60 years, we have this infiltration, this crypto-Protestant, and now maybe in some areas openly Protestant, understanding, approach, and even celebration of the mass. Yeah. What would you say to someone who says, well, the reason I go to mass is to receive communion. That's, that's pious and good. We, we celebrate that. It is good. But what is missing from the idea that we just go to mass to receive communion? Well, first, uh, we have to clarify uh, to be um, uh, complete uh, the understanding of the Eucharist. The holy sacrifice of the Mass contains as its integral part also the Holy Communion, but for the priest only. Right. So the priest, as 
the second Christ in this way, when Christ is celebrating the holy sacrifice through the human priest, his instrument, and uh, therefore uh, the holy mass, the sacrifice of the uh, uh, sacramental Eucharistic sacrifice, contains as its integral part the Holy Communion. It is not the essential part because the essential is a sacrifice from which flows out like a fruit the Holy Communion to give us the fruit of the sacrifice uh, is the, the immolated body and blood of Christ to nourish our souls for the eternal life, for our uh, journey here on earth to heaven, and also to be united more closely to Christ as possible in the Holy Communion and uh, with one another in the Church. This is the highest form of the union with God and uh, with one another. So this is the teaching of the church. Yeah. Then the other aspect which you mentioned is that it is not uh, necessary for the um, consummation or, or perfection of the Holy Mass that lay people or all uh, receive at each Mass the Holy Communion. It is sufficient for the priest, because this is necessary. Even, let us say, when a priest, uh, let us say, after uh, he made a consecration, uh, he falls down and, and dies because of a heart attack or other, uh, then the church says, should be called another priest who should receive the Holy Communion mm -hmm. to, to accomplish the sacrifice. Because the sacrifice had to be accomplished with the, with the uh, Holy Communion. And therefore, but it should be a priest mm -hmm. and not a lay people, a lay person to accomplish the sacrifice had to be a priest because this is a, a priestly, uh, st a strictly a priestly act also to accomplish the sacrifice with Holy Communion, sacramental communion. Yeah. But it is not necessary, I repeat, uh, for the fullness of the sacrifice that lay people uh, receive Holy Communion always. It is, the Council of Trent said it is uh, desirable uh, and is very uh, helpful spiritually to receive Holy Communion, of course. And, but we have to say also that the other aspect uh, stress that to receive Holy Communion uh, at each Holy Mass when people go, we have to prepare ourselves because it is not only uh, it it will it will not help us spiritually and will not give us uh, graces and fruits if we as lay people receive Holy Communion. Uh, I'm only automatically, like accustomed, uh, like a meal, or mm -hmm. it will not bring us um, the fruits. Saint Augustine oftentimes stressed this. We have to prepare ourselves to receive every Holy Communion fruitfully. And this um, uh, needs uh, from the Sight of the lay people, a preparation, a spiritual preparation, and to be really uh, consciously and uh, to re repent your sins, even the venial sins, and to make a thanksgiving after Holy Communion. And uh, therefore, I think the frequent Holy Communion, let us say daily, the, the Church of course encourages this, Pius X encourage this, or uh, those who receive every Sunday, it is also for them a frequent Holy Communion, should be accompanied with also with the practice, with the frequent practice of the sacrament of the confession of the penance. They are connected. In this way, 
the Russian Orthodox Church, for example, gives us an example and we can learn something from them. I am living in the midst of the Russian Orthodox priests and faithful here in Kazakhstan and they give us an example. For example, the praxis, the current of the Russian Orthodox Church is this that for every Holy Communion it's required the previous sacramental confession for every, independent if you have in your conscience mortal sins or not. It is simply a rule. And therefore, people are not so often receiving Holy Communion because they are not going so often times to the Holy Confession. But there are people, I know, who are, let us say, more frequently going to Holy Communion in the Orthodox Church, maybe not daily, but more frequently, and they do confess before every Holy Communion. So, maybe we are not requiring this, of course, to, to do daily confession for those who receive daily communion, but at least we can reflect about this praxis and to make, I think that uh, there is lacking a rule. Uh, the Holy Pope Pius X, he had a very good intention to do, to allow the daily communion, and but to my opinion, he forgot something practical. Uh, I think he forgot to to make a norm, a canonical, concrete norm, uh, how often to receive. A holy confession for those who frequently receive Holy Communion. I can, let us say, I hope that in the future the canon law will establish this. This is a, we have a, how do you say, lacuna that there is um, uh, in the canon law for this. Maybe in the future the Church can establish a rule, let us say, for, the, for those who daily receive Holy Communion, they must receive Holy Confession, let us say, every second week, so twice in the month, mm -hmm. even independently if you have in your conscience mortal sins or not, even if you have on your conscience only venial sins, because um, when you like to receive every day uh, uh, the, how do you say, the indulgence, the plenary, plenary indulgence you can receive every day. When you do every day, let us say, 30 minutes adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, or when you're reading 30 minutes Holy Scripture, the Church grants you a plenary indulgence. Of course, the, con the conditions are that you are in the state of grace, that you this day receive Holy Communion and praying at, uh, for the intention of the Pope and be interiorly detached from sin and that when you receive daily at least you have to confess to receive Holy Confession every second week more or less independent of the state of your soul so when the church re requires for a plenary indulgence even for those who have no mortal sins, right. to receive holy confession, even more, the more has to be required for daily communicants who are daily, because the Holy Eucharist is it's, it's greater than the plenary indulgence. And so it could be done. Or for those who receive every Sunday, uh, the Church could require that they receive at least monthly holy confession. And this will really help to receive fruitfully the Holy Communion and not simply simply automatically. And also, also to give freedom to not to make a pressure on the consciences of the people that they are uh, obliged, feeling them obliged to go with all uh, to Holy Communion. That we can be accustomed to leave this freedom of conscience, because to receive Holy Communion is a very personal decision. It is your intimate union with our Lord, the most highest here on earth possible. And this is a very 
personal uh, decision. And we have to respect even people, uh, let us say, who are not going to Holy Communion in, during the Mass. It, it, it must not be for us that they are in, uh, in the state of a mortal sin. Why? We are accustomed to say, oh, when someone is not going to Holy Communion, he must be in, the, in a mortal sin. Or in, no. We have to be accustomed that maybe there are other reasons uh, that he is not receiving Holy Communion of personal reasons or other, not of mortal sin, let, let us say. And if we introduce and the priest in the preaching that the people, you are not obliged to go every Holy Mass to Holy Communion, it is, of course, desirable when you are prepared, but feel free and prepare yourself and encourage the people to these frequent confessions also. This would be, I think, a mean to uh, that in our churches we uh, avoid this, this pressure on all people, moral pressure, psychological pressure to go always to Holy Communion. I was uh, this past weekend driving my sons. We were going to confirmation class and we were reviewing our catechism in the car. And uh, we were going through the precepts of the church. And my sons were surprised when they learned that you must go to Mass on 52 Sundays plus six days of holy obligation. But you must only receive communion one time at the Easter season. And this initiated a great conversation with my sons because I got to explain to them, I said, we go to Mass to be in the presence of Christ crucified. Now, Mary, Our Lady, and St. John, I guess they had a spiritual communion at the foot of the cross, but they did not receive communion when they were at Calvary, at Golgotha. I said, so we go to Mass to offer our worship, to unite our prayers, our sufferings, our intentions, because we're sinful, finite people. We can't just like throw a ball to heaven and get our prayers there. It has to be united with the cross, with Jesus dying. So we have to do that all every Sunday, but you only communion is not of the essence of the Mass for the lay people. And I, and I want to ask you something. Maybe I got this wrong. I said to go to Mass, and we go to the Latin Mass, to technically be present for the Mass is from when the priest takes the veil off the chalice at the offertory, the consecration, the Our Father, and the priest receiving communion. That is of the essence of the Mass. Is that correct? Yes, it was usually in the traditional mm -hmm. uh, uh, teaching regard it as the essential part of the participation of the Mass. Right. Yes, uh, of course, once a year it is too, uh, it's very few. Right, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't to... telling them just to go once, but I was just making the point to them that being yes. at Mass, but... whether you receive or not, is, if you're in a state of grace, meritorious, good, it's what the Church requires, because the essence is the sacrifice. Of course, and we have to encourage and preach about the value of the spiritual communion also. It's also value. Even when you receive sacramentally, you can during the day make a spiritual communion also. It's very fruitful. Yes. To talk about this subject, we have to also talk about the reforms after the Second Vatican Council, many of the liturgical abuses, and then even the Novus Ordo Mise, which I think every, everyone on all sides of the issue recognizes it is more meal-based, it is more community-based. Is The name of your book is to restore the centrality of God in the liturgy. In your opinion, as a bishop, is it best to just return to the old missile, or can we salvage the Novus Ordo? What is, what do you think is the Holy Spirit's? Not that we know we're human, but what would, what do you think is the Holy Spirit's um, 
way in which to restore the centrality of the Trinity to the Mass? I don't uh, assume that I can speak of the Holy Spirit, that we have to be very careful when we are using what means the Holy Spirit. You know, these expressions we are accustomed to hear from beginning from Pope John the 23rd, who said that the Holy Spirit illuminated him to convoke the, the Second Vatican Council. But I think it is a very, uh, for me, it's doubtful, such expressions. And uh, we cannot assume that this is from the Holy so it is a lacking of humility to me, to my opinion, and to to make all that what we are doing is from the Holy Spirit. No, we have to be very humble and say maybe, I will say the more, uh, the way which is more practical and uh, helpful for the church, uh, really, I think that uh, we have to take into account that um, the Novus Ordo is lived. The, the, uh, the overwhelming majority of the Catholics and the priests uh, know only the Novus Ordo. They don't know the traditional Mass. It's only a very small percentage of Catholics in the world who grew up and live in the old uh, traditional Mass. So. <clears throat> And therefore, we have to, to proceed uh, in, a, in an organic way, in a pedagogical way. Simply, it is a question of prudence and common sense, to my opinion. And I think that we can go back to the centrality of God in the liturgy with the Novus Ordo by steps. So the first most important is to introduce in the entire church, as Cardinal Sarah recommended two years ago, he even recommended from the first Advent Sunday, from I think 2019, that should be celebrated uh, all the Masses, even Novus Ordo, towards the Lord, as we say, Adorientem, at Deum. This is indispensable. This, I think that this should do a pope uh, to the entire church without compromise. R simply, in holy obedience, command to all bishops and, and who will not obey will not be according to the church. Uh, this is the first. And there is, it will change completely the, uh, not only the exterior outlook or of the mess, but it will change also the mentality and the thinking of the Catholics when they are participating to this Adorientem celebration of the Holy Mass. And this will have an influence, they will understand better that the, the, the Mass is a sacrifice and not a meal because this versus populum around the table, it is evident so clear a um, meal-shaped liturgy and anthropocentric also. So this is the first and indispensable uh, uh, step. And then the other, to my opinion, should be also done. Very important, we have to consider the deepest wound, which I consider in the church, is the practice of communion in hand. Why? Because here is uh, wounded and touched and desecrated directly mm -hmm. the immolated body of Christ our Lord, the Holy of Holies, the, the majesty of God himself wailed in the little host and trampled in our churches incredibly. Yes. It is horrible. We cannot continue this. We have to uh, the church, the Pope, has to stop immediately this desecration of communion in hand. I think that maybe 
the majority of faithful who are doing communion and they are not doing intentionally a desecration, I think. Simply they were taught wrongly and maybe they don't believe more in the real presence and or simply they are they don't thinking about nothing. They're doing simply because of uh, accustomed. So, but nevertheless, we have to stop this. So these two things, I think, we have to, as indispensable first steps. And then the other that we, we should introduce the, um, the prayers at the foot of the altar, at, at the, uh, so at the steps of the altar, the uh, 42 psalm, even the novice order also, and the double confiteor. Maybe in the vernacular language, but at least we should introduce these uh, to accustom the people to these more uh, reverent way to, uh, to start the Holy Mass. And the difference between the priesthood and the lay people, the double confiture, is an indication of this, for example. And then, which is touching only the priests, which the lay people are not so much, these are the offertory prayers. I think that the new offertory prayers should be uh, abolished. Yes, they're horrible. Abolished. Horrible, yeah. Because they are expressing the intention of, of what you are doing and the intention evidently of the new offertory prayers are not to offer a sacrifice but to celebrate a holy communion service. This is expressed in the prayers and, and it is completely alien to the entire Catholic tradition and the, even the Oriental tradition even more. This has to be completely and, uh, abolished and in the Novus Order should be the old offertory prayers. So this would be uh, the, I think, these three things. Now what about the Roman At Orientem, the strict uh, abolition of communion in hand, strictly really, and the introdu intro introduction of the old offertory prayers in the Novus Ordo, at least. This should be the first step. We cannot do all it at once. I think it, it is psychological and pedagogically not prudent to do this. We have to consider the, the majority are not really, I think we have to go by steps. This should be the first step. And maybe after uh, some time, I don't know, then the providence will show uh, after some years, could be done the next step uh, to to encourage and to that the canon should be prayed silently, to really to have this silent atmosphere and uh, to maybe to, uh, to, to limit only the first Eucharistic prayer, also in the Novus Ordo. Uh, maybe it could be a next step, so silently, and then only with the, with the, second, with the first Eucharistic prayer. So then the Novus Ordo will have, and, and so with this shape, it is almost the Novus Ordo, very similar uh, to the to the Vetus Ordo, it would be then maybe slowly also introduced the signs, uh, some other signs, and then uh, the real uh, difference, to my opinion, will be maybe between the so-called traditional form and the recent form. Uh, the, the language, so the vernacular language in which amount, extent is used, the vernacular language, but the structure, the prayers, I think could be almost identical, almost identical. And so this, I think, could be done in spe by steps. So as a layman hearing that, here's my concern. Well, Francis has already, with Traditions Custodes, gone in the interpretations against ad orientum. So that's a problem. 
But my concern as a layman is, within the Novus Ordo masses, not all of them, but a great majority of the priests are formed, taught, developed. They like smiling over the altar and talking to the people. This, to them, is priesthood. This is lit doing liturgy as... Just a moment. Okay, we're back. Um, I was saying, it's not just if we have to change the text and the offertory is what we have in the priesthood and the episcopate is an actual love for a liturgy that's based on the community and the priest and his personality. And, you know, that's really the bigger problem. How, how does that culture, how does that theological error, how is it corrected? Yes, but I think, uh, for example, when the church authority, maybe Pope Francis will not do this, but Pope Francis is not eternal. So when then the church authority will command to every priest to celebrate at Orientum. So uh, these uh, possibilities of doing, behaving as a showman, they will not have these possibilities simply. And these will, by time, influence their conscience also at least they will they will see the difference and they will form at least those who are goodwill maybe they will be uh, formed by this god-centered uh, form of liturgy and then when they will pray the offertory prayers imagine the traditional these priests they they, they will be influenced but these words must be, and and I hope that then by time even these priests who are so, so superficial, uh, liking, desiring to be a showman, they will have I hope uh, a chance of a grace of God to discover the truth and the true priesthood. It's a chance, and then. The younger one, you know, when the younger seminarians and priests will hear this, that the church commands uh, adorientum and the offertory prayers, the young clergy will happily accept these, the young seminarians, the majority. And they are the future. And these uh, showmen, priests and bishops, they will dying out because they will, they will get older. And the younger they like, again, the truth and the beauty of the Catholic Church. This is the, this is the work of divine providence for me, that young seminarians all over the world and young priests, they have got this instinct. And this is for me a work of the Holy Spirit, to love uh, the faith and uh, the prayer of all ages of the saints. So that, that brings, so this is, Again, as you're saying, you're not the Holy Spirit. You don't have a vision to divine providence. But obviously, this would be a long, difficult process with probably rebellion. I can't imagine the uh, German bishops hopping on and saying, this is great. We love this. They're going to, of course, have a big hissy fit over having to say the old offertory prayers. What would you say to the thousands of lay people who will watch this interview? Some of them, I'm in touch with so many, some of them said, I just can't take it anymore. Um, many of them find their way to the traditional Latin Mass. They're in the Institute of Christ the King, Fraternity of St. Peter. Maybe there's a diocesan Latin Mass that's still going. They're being nourished there. Some people say, forget it. I'm going Russian Orthodox. I know here in America, there's the Rokor, Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia. As far as I know, they do exactly what you said. You have to go to confession on Saturday to receive communion on Sunday, and they follow very traditional liturgies. Other people say, I'm going to the Society of St. Pius X. There's one close to me. I'm going to go there. Other people are so scandalized by the liturgical abuse and the heresy that they hear, they go to independent chapels, even sede vacantist chapels. Can you speak to lay people who are confused it's 2022 there is 
as far as we can see in Rome, there's not going to be any improvement for people who want the traditional Latin mass. What do we do with our families? Well, I think I would say to these dear brothers and sisters, I understand your suffering, but you have to, to look deeper. You are Catholic, so you have to stress the Catholic faith. It's not only liturgy. And because the fullness of Catholic faith, it's prohibiting you to go to the Orthodox, because the Orthodox is not Catholic. And we as Catholics, when you are really Catholic, you have to be ready to die for all uh, the, the truth. I have known priests, especially my, my parents, who died only for the truth of the papal primacy, not to become orthodox. Blessed Alexis Zaritsky, right. whom my mother helped and who blessed me. He died as a martyr only because he refused to become orthodox. Because he said to deny the, the divine truth of the papal primacy of Peter and the Pope. It is a divine revealed truth, right. divinely revealed truth. And when you deny this, you are committing a mortal sin against God, becoming orthodox, because the orthodox deny. They are not only schismatics, they are denying a divinely revealed truth of the papal primacy. And therefore, you cannot go you have then to seek other possibilities to assist a reverent Catholic Mass. And there are possibilities today. Well, it depends where you are living. When you are living in a great distance. So you can go to, as you mentioned, Mr. Marshall, the so-called ex-Ecclesia Dei communities or diocesan uh, Latin Masses. Even when they are no, you can go uh, to the Society of Pius. Matrimonies and so. And they, Sorry, they, uh, Your Excellency, we broke up. You said when there's not Ecclesia Day, you can go. You're about to say society, and then it froze. So can you resume there? I'm sorry. When they are not ex-Ecclesia Day communities or... Uh, diocese and Latin Mass in your uh, where you are living, then you can go uh, also to the Mass of the Society of Pius X, because they are they are acknowledging the Pope, they are praying for the Pope and for the local bishop, and this is for a Catholic uh, uh, in the, these difficult times uh, substantially sufficient, and also considering that the Pope gave them and so uh, this, uh, but uh, then when you are leaving, there is no one, then you can uh, sometimes travel to make a travel. In my time in Soviet Union, in the, in, in, the, in the underground church, we were traveling 70 or more miles for a Holy Mass. And maybe not every Sunday, when you, depending on your possibilities. But then pray that God will send you a possibility to assist a Mass where the Pope is mentioned, the current Pope and the Bishop. This is indispensable. Otherwise, you will not be fully Catholic. And therefore, the beautiful Mass will not help you when you are not fully Catholic. Yeah, I heard a, I've heard several people say this, but the most important thing when we die is the Catholic faith. Do you hold the entire Catholic faith from papal supremacy to transubstantiation to 
baptismal regeneration, the Trinity, the hypostatic union? Do you believe the whole faith? Because that is what gives you sanctifying grace, faith, hope, charity. That's what allows you to, God willing, die and eventually enter into the beatific vision. So we must hold the faith, never compromise the one true faith. And of course, the Mass is a gift. The Eucharist is a sacrament. The seven, all of them are very important. Of course, we must be baptized, but we must have the faith. Of course, this is very good and important. You know that... Uh... They were persecuted in the penal times. You know, the martyrs, the English martyrs, they were only martyred because of the fidelity to the papacy. So this is a fact. And so, and therefore we have to bear in mind this also. And then also that in difficult times, in persecution times, myself, we lived a long time, sometimes even years, without Holy Mass. Mm. There was no, there was persecution. But we kept the, plen the fullness of Catholic faith in our souls. We made spiritual communion. We read the catechism and prayed to God that he may, he may send us a priest. And then suddenly, sometimes came a priest. Uh, it was a, a surprise of divine grace and we received uh, confession and Holy Communion secretly. And so, therefore, in your, you are living now in the Western world or the United States. There is not yet such a persecution like in China or in the Soviet Union. And so you can have possibilities to travel to assist uh, a worthy Mass, I repeat, a fully Catholic Mass, where the Pope is mentioned and the, and the bishop is mentioned, the current bishop, and this keeps you in the fullness of faith, even if in some circumstances you should, you have not so frequent possibilities to assist uh, the traditional Catholic Mass. Good. Well, why don't we we'll end here on, you know, we've been kind of saying that it's a sacrifice, not just a meal, but there is the uh, the idea that Christ in John 6 says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says that. Um, what would you say in closing to lay people how to prepare for Holy Communion? I found a bunch of old Catholic books that go into detail on Friday night and then on Saturday and Saturday evening. Meditations to receive communion on Sunday. In other words, several days are being taken to prayer, to pray and to meditate and consider the immense humility of Christ in the host and then the effects that we'll receive from the Eucharist. And it seems today, even myself, it's very much sort of, oh, of course, tomorrow Sunday we receive communion, but I don't put in the, the devotional time that perhaps our grandparents and great-grandparents said. So how can, besides receiving in, in, on the tongue and never in the hand, what else can we do? Yes, it is good you mentioned this. For example, our Orthodox, Russian Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters, they, uh, on Saturday evening, they have to pray a so-called Eucharistic canon. This is, this is a prayers uh, which the Church established as a preparation for the Holy Communion. A kind of, uh, they have another style, maybe a kind of, litany or prayer or hymns in honor of the Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And it could be for us also a help, those who, let us say, receive Holy Communion only on Sundays, they could on Saturday evening together, the family with the children, every, every Saturday evening to make a preparation for Holy Communion for tomorrow. Let us say they can, there are, there are several beautiful prayers in devotion. Oh, I think we lost you, Excellency. Oh, we lost you for a little bit again. You said there's several prayers. There are several prayers in devotional books. 
about Eucharist. So you can, for example, choose the beautiful hymns of St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Adoro in, in, in vernacular language, Adoro te devote, or the other from the, survey, the, the, the office of the feast of Corpus Christi. They are beautiful hymns. Or uh, you can take some meditations of the saints on Eucharist. They are collections. I would recommend St. Peter Julian Amar, a great saint of Eucharist. And he left beautiful uh, reflections and prayers and meditations short about the Holy Communion. This would be a good help every Sunday evening to prepare, to, mo- to make a small preparation together for the next day to receive Holy Communion. Good. Good. All right, I'm going to I'm going to try to introduce that, Your Excellency. That's very good advice. Um, we could go on and on, but we've we've taken about an hour, Your Excellency. So I thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts. And then I'd also encourage everyone, if you want more of this, of course, please see the new book. It's uh, the Catholic Mass: Steps to Restore the Centrality of God in the Liturgy. Uh, Your Excellency, would you lead us in the uh, the Hail Mary, the Ave Maria in Latin, and then a blessing? Yes. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tui mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, Nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicuterat in principio et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Amen. Dominus vobiscum. Et cum spiritu tuo. Et benedictio Dei Omnipotentis Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti descendat super vos et maneat semper. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Your Excellency. Uh, I encourage everyone, please, when you pray your rosary this evening, please pray a decade for Bishop Athanasius Schneider and his work and his witness. And again, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. God reward you for your beautiful apostolate. And I thank you for the prayers. And may God give you many graces in this Holy Land time. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless everyone. And Godspeed.